Hello and welcome to Over the Edge. This episode features an interview between Bill Pfeiffer and Dr. Ayotunde Coker, the CEO of Open Access Data Centers. Initiated to the company in June 2022, Dr. Coker has moved rapidly, deploying over 35 data centers across South Africa and Nigeria. Through this work, Open Access Data Centers is addressing the data center deficit in Africa and is accelerating the continent's digital transformation as a result. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsors. Over the Edge is brought to you by Dell Technologies to unlock the potential of your infrastructure with Edge solutions. From hardware and software to data and operations across your entire multi-cloud environment, we're here to help you simplify your edge so that you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dellTechnologies.com slash simplify your edge for more information or click on the link in the show notes. And now please enjoy this interview between Bill Pfeiffer and Dr. Ayotunde Coker, CEO of Open Access Data Centers. Dr. Coker, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to have you. We've been looking forward to having this call for quite some time. Yes, thanks very much. It's great to be here. And likewise, I've really been looking forward to it. And it's always great to start with just a little bit of background information. So one of the standard questions that we love to ask on this podcast is, how did you get started in technology? What brought you here? Oh, that goes back a long way. I actually studied mechanical engineering degree. And with that, you know, the mid-80s, technology starting to come into engineering. And so it was natural to get into um, the use of technology in business. And I had a postgraduate sponsored by Ford of Europe, which was around manufacturing transformation. And of course, then you had computer integrated manufacturing, manufacturing systems engineering, which I actually studied as a postgraduate. And there it was. I was very much around using technology to transform businesses. And when I joined Ford of Europe, it was actually Ford of Europe IT and working on the strategy, the technology strategy for building out the global new car, the Ford Mondeo, Ford's first global car, and went, also went to lead technology for product development engineering. And that was that. I got into Consulting technology, consulting with Capgemini, which is now one of the top global technology and business consulting mm-hmm. companies. And I've since charted my career in technology over the last oh, top side of 35 years now. So what brought you to open access data centers? Okay, so I was born in Nigeria, Nigerian dad, British mom. And in my degree, I had the choice of staying in the UK. So I spent close to 30 years of my career there. And typically, I had colleagues who would provide data center services in technology roles I held. In BP, the global oil company, for instance, I was responsible for global application portfolio management for their corporate function. And other colleagues of mine were now pulling together about 450, 500 data centers across the entire world to outsourced mega data centers in three parts of the globe. So that was outsourced data centers. And I had a CTO role for criminal justice in the UK and typically would push for outsourced data centers. I was headhunted to be the Africa Group CIO for a bank called Access Bank in Nigeria. And I've been looking to get back to take a role in Africa and do my bit transforming technology, transforming growth 
And the first thing was, you know, we need to build a data center. Well, no, you, you outsource those things, right? You collocate. Well, you're, you're a bank. You don't need to build data centers. However, getting back, I realized that really you couldn't find any quality data center. You put a bank's assets in and you need to interconnect and grow the bank, anchored in Nigeria, but across Africa. We built a data center. And actually in that really got into set the standard as a tier three certified data center. It's as a global reference point, not because it's good to say, it gives you a reference point for the minimum level of quality. We didn't certify it, we're a bank, but that was sort of the beginning of that. People talking about tier three data centers in Africa, and we'd have other people come around and look at this data center. We built it to the right quality. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to build one, didn't want to run one, but we had to. Also got me into the whole thing around how to engineer high quality uptime data centers without having reliable utility. I remember thinking to myself once, today, hey, you're a mechanical engineer, you've got to take charge of this stuff, the design and so on, and come up with new models of high quality energy value chains to have high quality energy delivery. So that sort of started that. In leaving the bank, a company wanted to start a data center collocation business and I was a natural candidate. Sort of that quest of technology implementation, infrastructure implementation, taking things in Africa and demonstrating that you can actually leapfrog the world and you can bring in world-class technology and business solutions on the continent. I started as the chief executive officer for Rack Center in Lagos. And over the last close to 10 years, I've been very much on the data center, you know, leadership in Africa. And that's the background of how I got into uh, data centers and with open access data centers building right across Africa, it was a natural progression for me to take on a role there in Pan-Africa data center infrastructure build. And here I am. We've actually brought together a very unique proposition, and I think uh, carrier neutrality is very, very important. But if if we then bring a carrier neutral open access data center in conjunction with open access wholesale connectivity, you could really create a very, very strong uh, narrative. And here I am as the Africa CEO for open access data centers. That's awesome. So you went from the guy who didn't want to build data centers to the guy who builds data centers. Yes, for co-location, outsourced co-location. Now, typically, you would find companies would not want to build their own data center. The education has been through that. You would think now we have high quality co-locations across countries, across the continent. It's natural to just look for the co-location provider and really not waste scarce capital and resources building own data centers that don't have scale, very hard to get the right quality and don't really underpin the business in the right way. So now you're building open access data centers all across Africa, which is amazing. And you've got, I think I saw 30 of these already of core data centers and edge locations. Yes, yes. We will have over 30 in South Africa. We have what we call the core data center. The core, a broad strategy actually is the core to edge strategy. And it's a continuum between the core data centers, large megawatt multiple megawatts down to smaller data centers. And across the country or across the continent, you have a continuum of right-sizing data centers for the location you're at, either as a core or at the edge. Mm -hmm. So in South Africa, we have 
four core data centers, one in Durban, which is where we land to Africa cable, Meta's to Africa on the East Coast. You have one in Joburg in Essendo as a core data center and two in Cape Town, Cape Town 1, Cape Town 2. Cape Town 1 is Rondebosch, Cape Town 2 is at Brackenville. Open access data centers is part of Wyok Group. Wyok has started as a connectivity business with connectivity right across Africa. We have long distance networks in South Africa and critical points of data intersection across the country. We can actually put edge data centers, right, of varying sizes. Mm -hmm. So we have over about 29 or so, close to 30 of those edge data centers across South Africa. So that's South Africa. So we leverage that open interconnectivity with open access data centers. The reason actually we have two Africa landing in Durban is the WIOC as a connectivity company has tens of thousands of kilometers of fiber across the continent and also has capacity on the undersea cables that serve the East Coast and the West Coast of Africa and is a consortium partner with Meta to Africa and also with Google, Google's Equiano. So in, in Cape Town, for instance, at the Ronda Bosch site, we have the SLTE linked out into the, uh, that, that's the, the uh, systems that support the undersea cable mm-hmm. landing connectivity rather. And in Lagos, which is a flagship in Lagos in Nigeria, that's a flagship facility we have there that has landed the Equiano cable uh, as well. And that's this year, one point three megawatt facility, and we're very, very rapidly developing that into two implementations of 12 megawatts each of expansion very, very rapidly. That will be ready for a service in the next 12 months. The facility in Lagos has been operating for about eight months now. And also in Democratic Republic of Congo, we have going live in the next couple of months, a core data center there, the very first high-quality, uptime, certified data center in Kinshasa. And that's a large opportunity. I mean, Kinshasa is 15 million people. Lagos is 22 million people. So these are very high population cities. And bringing carry neutrality, a vibrant ecosystem, pairing ecosystem, IX location there, interconnectivity hub, open access into the area. I, I believe it will transform data center infrastructure and connectivity in the country. I think the core essence of what we do is bringing together this core open and converged digital infrastructure together that actually is changing the narrative in Africa, is bringing digital infrastructure penetration onto the continent and transforming economies in the continent. So for instance, the International Telecoms Union with the World Bank has noted that 10% 10% of broadband penetration can result in about 2, 2.5% uh, growth in GDP. Mm-hmm. Now bring that converged with connectivity and hey, the economic impact uh, can be huge. So now those, those are the countries we're present in right now, uh, Nigeria, Democratic Republic of Congo, South Africa, and we're very rapidly also looking at our expansions in, in West Africa through Ghana, mm-hmm. Côte d'Ivoire, and also in, in other uh, locations across mid-Southern Africa to complement the networks that we have in place and also key points where digital infrastructure is required. 
So this is kind of a fascinating, almost a departure from what we usually cover on this podcast, which is edge computing, right? But that's moving compute out of clouds and data centers. But when you don't have clouds and data centers accessible, that causes an interesting challenge. And you're making, I mean, you're landing undersea cables to connect everyone to the internet. You're building core data centers. You're bringing the clouds to Africa and you're mm. building the edge. You're doing this kind of all at once, which is fascinating, right? So you're just all of a sudden overlaying the whole ecosystem and we're mostly focused on, but it's moving out toward the edge for real time, yes. but yeah. quote unquote real time, right? Like where did your data go before you had all these data centers? What was your compute? <laughs> yes. And it's, this actually develops over time. And as soon as you get the broadband penetration, you're talking about the, you know, the endpoint compute, right? Mm-hmm. Endpoint compute is the network is a computer right now. Your mm-hmm. endpoint end can be as, as thin and lean as it is. And the more you get high quality connectivity going through, the more there's demand for content, the more you take content through to the point of eyeballs, the more latency becomes very, very important. And consumers are discerning, very, very discerning at the endpoint. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they'll switch very, very quickly from content providers of sorts, right? And it's now the way to do that is, you know, the edge, what's the edge? The edge is a continuum, actually. And what I mean by that is this, a 40 megawatt data center in London, a 12 megawatt data center, or 100 megawatt even data center in Europe would be a, a, a 10 megawatt data center in Africa, large but one location in Africa, but mm-hmm. is the edge to something else elsewhere. That brings the connectivity around through and takes the latency out of having to get content from those larger edge data centers elsewhere. Now, within the continent, that edge to the world is also actually a core to the continent. And you have edge data centers around that where you have cloud services uh, being brought closer to the point of use on the continent and then being delivered to endpoints, edge locations, where you have the ISPs needing to, we, we aggregate ISPs at our edge locations. You don't have to think about power. You don't have to think about getting your connectivity there. We've got open connectivity. What you need to do is we aggregate ISPs at those points. You get your computer out there and you have access to your eyeballs. And of course, the eyeballs connect through the endpoint And that's how the entire value chain works. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation about kind of the tiering of edges, right? When Mm. your compute isn't available, you don't have good data centers, you don't have good power. We could see Africa as the edge. And then you put in a core and then you start to distribute. Well, I want my edge closer than that. So now you put some regional data centers. Well, now I want my edge closer than that. And it kind of exposes the edge is such a squishy topic. It's just really about getting closer, getting closer, getting closer whatever that means. Yes. And, you know, you unlock a volume of consumption of data, but increasingly, I mean, Africa is now becoming a world leader on creation of content. So you now have this two-way traffic of consumption of content, creation of content, and it goes round back the other way. And with proliferation of internet exchanges now on the continent, more data is being most actually, the, the vast majority of data has been localized on the continent, bringing significant efficiencies and economic growth. That's fantastic. 
Now, I also saw that OADC, your company, won the Best Data Center Award at the Global Carrier Awards last year. And they specifically said you had a unique and innovative edge offering that's underpinning Africa's digital transformation. So your company is credited with actually driving digital transformation for a continent. That's amazing. <laughs> How does that feel? I mean, what comes next on top of that? Yes, it's great. I mean, Africa is a vast continent. I mean, it feels great that we're able to impact significantly. We're investing, as we said you know, a couple of years ago, over the five-year time scale, about $500 million in infrastructure. And looking at how that could even grow. Africa is a vast continent. So we're doing a, a lot of work and a lot in parallel. And, you know, it's, it's not been done before. We, we have data center companies across the continent. We have connectivity companies across the continent. But it's the first time we've had open hyperscale connectivity wholesale interconnecting and supporting a data center infrastructure and this with a pan support structure for that across Africa with the command centers that run the uh, data centers, the, the network operating centers that do all the monitoring and all of that stuff. We, we pull together, but we in a scalable way, both in, in terms of the depth of scalability and the breadth of scalability across the continent. So it's a significant challenge. I think in Europe, one similar com company that's been doing that has been Atlas Edge with their data centers, and they do some work with Zayo, the connectivity provider. You have Edge Connects in the US, for instance. So it's unique on the continent. And it sort of underpins that belief that I have that the continent can continue and start to do and continue to do innovations that uh, leapfrog. The great thing about operating on the continent, actually, is the opportunity to innovate across challenges that you have in some of some ways in terms of some things that haven't been done before elsewhere. And then it makes it really quite motivating and satisfying to see the kind of outcome one can create. I mean, sometimes you get challenges that, you know, you, you just lick your wounds and move on. It's the way it happens. You mm -hmm. take your lessons learned and you make sure that you, you build out bigger, better, stronger uh, going into the future. And that's what is really quite also in its own way exciting, but with, with its own challenges as well. I love the idea of using that as an opportunity to leapfrog. Kind of like, you know, web one, web two, web three. Web one was you just take your form and put it online. Web yeah. two is you find a better way to do the same things you were doing. Mm -hmm. And then web three, you're doing different things. Yes. And yeah, if you yeah. were farther behind and now you all of a sudden just bring the web straight to people, they weren't doing a lot of that stuff or they can just jump forward to what new things can we do based on all of this availability? And we have cores and we have edges and we have local. And this is just amazing. I, I can't wait to see yeah. where this goes next. Yeah, I think some point as to where it goes next is if you look at the demography of it's a very young population. Mm -hmm. It's the median age is in some places 18, in some places 20. And so generally across the continent, I mean, it's around about 1920 and, you know, not that much more, even in so more industrialized parts of the continent. But as everything else is graying, demographically speaking, that's a pretty incredible advantage and difference. Exactly. So you have, you know, the, the young, you know, savvy content rich population as um, a huge 
to a marketplace. So you have 1.3 billion people and 54 countries in Africa as same as they're different. Lots of different ways of culture, North, South, East and West, even within countries, significant diversity in culture and so on. But nevertheless, it presents a significant opportunity to, to raise the impact that you have with what is a really young, typically young population. I think something around about 70% or so, uh, less than uh, 40, and even younger. So the impact and the opportunity and addressable market is significant indeed. So regarding the edge, what are you seeing your customers doing at the edge, doing at the core, right? Now that you're building, I mean, over the last couple of years, you've built 30 plus edge data centers, let alone the core data centers. So that's a huge amount of net new capacity. And I assume it's not sitting there idle waiting for someone to do something, right? People will jump in because they couldn't use that capacity before they had to build their own. Now they can jump in and start innovating. So you're probably seeing this burst of innovation of new companies, of new ways of thinking, ways of doing things. I don't know how much of that you see from the perspective of running the data center, but do you have a sense of what your customers are doing with all of that net new capacity and capability? That's a great question. First of all, we have to make sure that the awareness is there of what we offer. And we mm-hmm. continue to fine tune that and innovate. It's, we, did, we don't have a previous reference point to say it was done like this before. Now let's pick it up and know we're, we're innovating and it's new offers of delivering digital infrastructure out to the edge. But what it does is this. You don't have to build your own network connectivity. You can ride on open access network. You don't have to build a data center, like you said, where we also have issues with load shedding on power and so on. Previously, you could actually have ISPs go down because there's been a power issue or they'd have to upgrade their relatively small data centers. But what we have now is, you know, an ISP able to leverage the infrastructure we give with the connectivity we provide, and they can focus on the endpoint to um, their own customers. Also for smaller companies that need their combination of connecting to the internet, some of their own smaller footprint of hosting that they require and a mix to what they use in the cloud, they don't have to depend on going to a core data center that's a hundred, hundreds of miles away. I mean, of course, you have possibilities of using and remote hands and eyes, you know, stuff like that. But right down the road, you could have the possibility of closer to where you operate, having access to lightweight colocation. Now, with respect to what people are doing, actually, in terms of what they consume at the end, we don't, we don't get insight into that. But what we do is to provide the facility for those who take that content to the edge to know that there's trusted partner understands how to operate on the continent and is able to give the underpinning infrastructure for the drive, for driving that content out to the edge. And it could be, you know, lots of different types of latency sensitive applications like gaming, for instance, mm-hmm. and you start to have other usage scenarios that people want in content consumption. And you're starting to get significantly more with respect to support of e-health, e-education, e-government services, you know, so on. There's a whole range 
of usage scenarios of content at the edge that we support by being able to take the latency out and drive the delivery of services at the edge. Let me just say it's closer to the eyeballs. Sure. And again, in the United States, in Europe, we're thinking about the edge as moving technology out of clouds and data centers. But when you're just building the data centers in the clouds and you're just building the edges, do you have customers that necessarily care so much about edge versus core data center versus cloud? Or are they just looking for available compute and a certain latency footprint and they don't necessarily care where it runs? I've been in conversations yeah. about, you know, within a couple of years, the term edge will go away. The term cloud will go away. No one will care. There will just be compute. And mm. it seems like you've just dropped in compute, right? Cut it all over the place end yeah. to end. And I wonder if that's pushing Africa forward yeah. farther in that conversation. It's interesting. You're right, actually, that maturity of, it's a global maturity process that you're talking mm -hmm. about. People will just stop talking about, do I have my own servers to, for my compute? They then think about going into the cloud. They're going to the cloud. They're thinking about what's on the edge. Just as you say, in not too long, people just say, I just have access to efficient compute. And that's delivered by whoever is delivering it in the value chain to the quality, to the speed, to the availability I'm expecting. And it's just part of a global digital infrastructure fabric that is one, not a differentiation between a core and the edge. It's just a single continuum of delivering valuable compute of mm -hmm. sort. Because, you know, we talk about eyeballs and as you get machine to machine, the next eyeball could be a machine. Right. So it's just compute. So I guess part of the question behind the question there would be, do you even offer differentiated services very much between core and edge, between your edge data centers and your core data centers? Or do you just have available compute? If you look at things like being certified to things like the Uptime Institute, Tier 3, you know, so on. The edge, the, the cores have the scale that justify that. So at least your anchor point for distribution to the edge has a certain level of certification across a whole range of international standards and uptime specifications and so on. And then the edge, you naturally want to make sure that you have a minimum level of availability with the backups you have, and, uh, you know, the multiple and swap and plus more infrastructure that makes it reliable to meet what you require at the edge. But it's not where you would put some of the details in the heavy lifting certifications. But nevertheless, you still have minimum expected levels of service and availability that you deliver at the edge. So it's just really one continuum that feeds off the different sort of stages of what you do from the core to the network to the next point of compute. And you have to deliver the service as required or reliability out to the point of use. So jumping back a little bit, you had mentioned that when you were first building data centers in Africa, power was a problem. And it sounds like it still probably is. I doubt that's something that you just quickly <laughs> fix. It's kind of a major infrastructure thing. You're building core data centers. They're big and have massive power supplies. Mm. They're in one place. That's That actually is a relatively easier problem to address, I think, because you can justify much more cost in terms mm. of, you know, build a backup generator and have multiple power feeds. But as you get out to the edge, 
it becomes more of a challenge to fiscally responsibly address that and technologically mm. address that. What sorts of other challenges and how did you solve the power challenge out at the edge? What other challenges are you seeing as you get farther away from those cores than the major, major cities that they're probably in? Okay, so just doing the power thing first. The power is a global leveler right now. The availability of power is a big mm -hmm. issue uh, across data centers, whether you're operating where there's abundant, there's less abundant power, even in places like US and Europe and so on than there used to be. Also, the practicality of it is that as demand for power for compute goes up, you couldn't go to a utility and say, I'd like 10 megawatts in six months time, please, because I'm building a 10 megawatt data center. They'll need to do a lot more work on that. And it's the same thing in the core sort of cities that we're in. We need to think in detail what we have to do to deliver the level of power that we require, the growth trajectories, you know, so on. Do you get an offer from a utility? Do you get some? So gas piped in, for instance, and you build your independent power plants to meet your requirements. So it's sort of a general broad global leveler, right? And the key thing also we take into account very, very seriously is how do we do what we do sustainably? So the sustainability question is also something that's very, very much part of the many of the sort of things that we look at in how we build, how we run, how we deliver power, how we do everything. That's a very, very important piece. So that power issue and the quiet power question is a, is a great leveler. What we also realize is that the nature of the power challenge is different depending on where you are. So you have to engineer for the realities of the location you pick. Okay, so you have the engineering templates you use and stuff like that, but nevertheless, you have to engineer your power for the location you're in, given the practicalities as sustainably as you possibly can, okay? As you go out to the edge, you then engineer for the circumstances uh, around the edge. And of course, you need to understand how you deliver the power. The other challenge here is how do you therefore support the edge? Okay, you're out there. Now, one of the things we saw as a great opportunity is that when you have fiber networks out there, you, you know, you've got to provide support for these fiber networks is you have an operating support operating model to support that. So what we do is we leverage the synergies between both and make sure we have a unified support structure that upskills our, our network um, support teams or data center support teams, vice versa, to be able to be multi-scaled to provide the support as required. So it gives us a very efficient support network at the edge. And you also have to have I think a certain level of remote monitoring, remote sensing for you to efficiently support uh, your data centers. But increasingly, I think to overcome those challenges and we look at how we might do this is to have almost like lights out support mode, infrastructure support mode and response models within, within the edge. But that challenge of providing support infrastructure at the edge is something that we've been innovating around by making sure we optimize between our core network support structure and our data center support structure. And you mentioned sustainability there, which is an interesting topic, particularly when you're talking about edge, right? Because cores, clouds, you can very, very tightly control where your power comes from and you can justify building solar fields nearby and things like mm -hmm. that. 
but you can also measure and centralize all of your planning there. When you get out to the edge, it becomes a little more challenging, as with so many other things with the edge. How do you see sustainability different as you move out toward the edge and you get smaller and smaller in your data center deployments? Well, first of all, make sure that, you know, what we get to that source of power is as sustainable and as efficient as possible. Make sure also that within the confines of where we deliver the edge, we make it as efficient as possible in terms of, say, power utilization. The scale of it is less because the size isn't that large, but your your ability to hit some sort of fantastic PU is reduced and efficiently and cost-efficiently make sure you optimize the power usage at the edge point. I've always generally said we've got to look at net impact of the industry on sustainability. It's very, very important because the digital infrastructure industry has actually brought about a significant part of efficiency. We're having this discussion, for instance, I didn't have to travel 5,000 miles just to sit down, have this discussion and get back again. It's now accepted that we, it's perfectly okay for us to use digital to cut that out. We still, we're still finding out that nice equilibrium or the effectiveness of face-to-face versus digital and so on and so forth. But by and large, a lot of efficiency has been enabled through digital. So you look and, and of course, sustainability. So I always assert you look at the net impact. However, where you have a net impact positive does not necessarily mean you shouldn't continue to focus on having even more and more greener sustainability backend core infrastructure to increase that gap we have net impact on environment because it's a challenge we all face. And the key thing is to optimize it continuously. Now, even at the edge, we have to look at how we support our clients with power sustainability that is based much, very much more on battery availability, you know, so on. And rather than having just one generator around there, we can look at patterns of usage and downtimes and so on where you might have a response of getting an emergency small generator, you plug it in, you get make sure everything is okay, while you're still maintaining high levels of uptime. But the, mm-hmm. the significant thing also is that by having those data centers at the edge, you're actually encouraging, you're reducing the need for a lot of transportation away from locales, where otherwise they would have done that, but now have services being delivered very much more closer to the point of use more efficiently than would have been done before. So we take a total net view of what we're doing. I think to that end, we have a very senior individual who drives all of our, he's a director of ESG, drives all of our ESG innovations. So that, you see, it's also quite a holistic, it's a holistic thing, our sustainability. We have an eight pillar framework that we use to shape structure and design and deliver ESG objectives. It goes around, you know, the strategy, people and execution, technology innovation, the supply chain, for instance, you know, making sure that we've got a scope one, scope two frameworks in place in terms of how we target that, you know, advocacy and industry awareness in what we do, for instance, and also the certifications that we have to make sure that we're very, very clear about what green certifications we have. So for instance, flagship core data center, we are getting it done to the IFC edge standards to get it 
design validated to the IFC edge standards. And the thing about these standards is they drive the minimum level of technology. It's a, it's, it's a recognized framework for you to know you're targeting a minimum level of set of requirements. You're certified to it by independent viewpoint. And you have to therefore sustain it going in time. So we use this framework to make sure that we've really, really holistically think through, deliver, and sustain all of our ESG goals. I love that you're talking about the depth of it and the complexity. And it, it does kind of all tie together, right? Moving the data is expensive and keeping it closer to users can provide more efficiency sometimes, but not necessarily. So it's, mm. it's an interesting sort of balancing act. Mm. And just being aware of all of that it helps you move more intelligently toward a good sustainability story. Yes, and we always have to innovate and modify and optimize in what we do. Making a move in one direction right now gives you data, gives you a view of what you're doing. And if it's not optimized, we'll back off it. And mm -hmm. we'll take that lesson learned and move elsewhere. As I said, we don't have an old reference point that's been done before. We're actually innovating into the future. And not a hundred percent of the moves we make will be absolutely right first time. So jumping tracks a little bit over to AI, it's the topic that everyone wants to talk about right now. <laughs> so it constantly, well, constantly, it's been amusing me for a while now that six months ago, a career in AI meant you were a data scientist or a data engineer. And today a career in AI means you know how to use chat GPT and some other <laughs> stuff. And it's gone from a career path to a tool set. And it's such a rapid shift. How is AI impacting what you're seeing, what you're doing? Are you using it? Are your customers driving it? Again, you know, the leapfrog concept of you're not going through that linear, here's how we used to do it. Here's how we evolved it. You're jumping straight into, here's yeah. the state of the art. Let's go there. And yeah. <laughs> I wonder how the continent of Africa is looking at AI differently than the rest of the world because they're just jumping straight in. Yes, you know, and this is, you know, getting the infrastructure, I guess you straight ahead to leapfrog. You know, and just a couple of things to go back. I'm the chair of the Africa Data Center Association and we do a PUE check generally every year to see how it is. And what we find is that the data center, the average PUE in Africa is about 1.6 or something like that, lower than their sort of global average PUE. Why? Because the data centers tend to be newer and use newer technology. And therefore, even in the hot, what I call in many places in Africa, the 1990 challenge, 90% 90 humidity, 90, 90 degrees Fahrenheit, you still achieve a lower PE than standard. That's an example of leapfrogging because the technologies in the data centers are new. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that, for the AI, I actually do believe that the quarter-edge strategy that we have right now with hyperscale open connectivity that enables carriers and carriers of carriers to move towards the point of consumption absolutely is just key for AI. You see, AI in itself is not just AI. It's part of creating the solution to something. Right, you have to do something with it. It's embedded in a solution. You have to do something with it. And also it depends, it needs more intelligent compute, much denser compute. And that's why you're not finding companies that do that being very, very highly valued because they have, you know, the special chips that meet that compute. 
So what that means, therefore, is you need significantly more. The hyperscale demand is going to go up significantly more. And we're already seeing that across the world, increasing demand. And with technology too, I'm a firm believer that as much as we can get the technologies that make a much, much denser compute more efficient, else we'll be plastering the entire planet with data centers. And the more efficient we can be, the more we can get the balance right between growth in data center demand and so on. So stuff like new technology that has been talking about, like graphene and so on, it's very, very key for us to meet the increasing demand. So AI is driving increasing demand. And we're already seeing that in what's being highlighted across the globe in growth in demand, or you're now having um, AI hyperscale data centers. That trickles down into what we're doing in Africa. That's why I think our strategy of the core to the edge with open connectivity is a key one to underpin AI. I'll give you an example. You've got an AI engine in the back end of something that's interactive with a customer and you have latency. Imagine how destructive that would be in trying to interact with something. So you need to get it out to the edge and make it as real time, millisecond, milliseconds of milliseconds in efficiency and in gaming and so on. So AI is going to be very, very pervasive as a part of the usage scenarios and use cases of how we deliver things. And I believe our core to edge strategy really, really support that. But putting AI in perspective, I, I mentioned I, I had a role before the Europe and not far from me was a strategy team working on expert systems. Experts mm-hmm. that this was about 35 years ago now. I was going to say probably like the 90s because that's when expert systems were in vogue. Exactly. Late 80s into early 90s, really early 90s, talking about expert systems. We were looking at heuristics. We were looking at how to bring intelligence into operating paint shops. That used to be an art of experts right down into being able to control that with closed loop technologies. Cars, engine management systems, for instance, you know, and so on, has had different elements of AI, but AI has come to a level of maturity that is really quite, I wouldn't say scarily competent. It just puts different levels of functionality for us to be able to use to build and make our lives better, more efficient, greener, so on, right? Mm -hmm. That net effect of green, as I talked about, you know, so I think AI is going to become much more pervasive. I think it's going to be much more embedded in a lot of what we do. It's going to demand significantly more infrastructure to support it because of the compute, the sheer level of compute you need for storage. AI is not AI without underlying data on which you then build on. It's just the underlying data is now global because we have Web3, we have interconnectivity, we have undersea cables all over the place to drive this content around the place. And that data is what's being used overlaid with what we call AI, right? Mm -hmm. With technology that allows you to do it much quicker, more efficiently and drive it out to the edge. And that's what we're seeing right now. So the demand for that volume of data to be used is increasing significantly exponentially in in a short period of time. The compute that we need to overlay on that data in real time and real time deliveries increasing significantly so you now have a lot of the hyperscalers rethinking their engineering per rack, their engineering per device, which are taking different shapes of size, you know, compute per meter squared footprint, increasing significantly. 
And so you're going to start to see the cycles of refresh, technology refresh increasing because we now have lots of new use cases coming out because of AI. You, you see, AI, just like a lot of technology, inputs into the, in my view, unassailable human heuristic capability. So I thought to myself, if I was a priest about to do a sermon on the Sunday of X Sunday in, in normal time, and I asked AI to do me a sermon, what sermon would it give? And it's really quite uh, surprising how relevant it is. But then you have to add the personal touch. It, all it does is give you a very sophisticated cue to what you do and you overlay it on and you personalize it and you enrich it, you know, and so on in a way a machine can't really do, but it's a significantly better starting point than it would be. And it's probably going to be the same with legal. You know, you've got legal scenarios to work through. At the end of the day, it's not what AI is just printed out. It's a starting point for you to then add a different level of expertise. And you'll mm -hmm. see this virtual cycle driven by functionality that's given by AI. And what does that mean? We need more and more, and more technology because lots of people will be using the AI to crunch stuff to give them the starting point. So you see exponential growth. And that's why I was said, like I said in the start, that the core to edge strategy we're developing and the fundamentals of things we're looking at as well with, you know, the sustainability, the core mega data centers, this, the smaller edge data centers, the interconnectivity, open interconnectivity, the IXs and so on is a kind of infrastructure architecture that I think will enable us to deliver AI. I tend to think of AI as it does things faster. And it helps us yes. do things faster, but it also yes. forces us to do things faster because our yes. competitors are and because mm. it's growing so much. Now we have to keep up with it and all of this. So you have to know what you're doing. You have to have a goal and a way to get there, but it can help you do that faster as long as you can keep up. Exactly. As long as you can keep up, but also it also creates for humanity lots of maybe ultimately better work-life work balance. Mm-hmm. So looking forward, what are you most hoping comes next that helps you leapfrog again into the next space? What comes next? I actually do think that there's a lot of possibility for us to uh, use technology that's available now to transform what's happening with health, transform what's happening with uh, education transform what's happening in legal, transform what's happening in a, a lot of other areas. So much so that you then have this global, we will talk about the global village anyway, that's been enabled by technology, right? However, what does it mean for Africa? Therefore means that a lot can be delivered directly to the point of use. You do not have to leave to get a level of education and so on. That can be delivered much more efficiently, much quicker, much more intelligently to the point of use. And that raises, you know, the quality of life. So broadband penetration and accessibility and digital accessibility is so important, just as much as having water, just as much as having other aspects of, you know, it's, it's an enabling phenomenon for want of a mm -hmm. better, right? It also means, therefore, and we're starting to see this with content creation, where you now see African content being very, very pervasive across the world. It also means that that expertise can be created 
and delivered more efficiently across the world. But there's one thing we're also seeing, the global resource pool of people, right? You have, we would hire the best people from across the world for what we need to do. And we create a whole talent pool. I talked about the demographics, okay? So access to to a bunch of very, very brilliant people to build capacity capability in time, right? And you you get this growing into world-class individuals from technology point of view or engineering point of view, and they then get hired off to to Canada. Fine, it's a global talent pool. You just make sure that you have the feedstock and you continue to have the feedstock. This happens because of technology-enabled in both directions, access to many, many, many things. So Mm -hmm. it's the same thing with legal minds, being able to give legal points of view of a localized world in pockets, right? Uh, Same Mm -hmm. thing with medicine, being able to undertake very, very complex uh, medical uh, operations with expertise from anywhere around the world, but in different ways delivered. You know, you could even, you'll have the medical edge because at the end of the day, you have a, a physician working on it, but the information they're working on, the virtual reality that they might be working with in, in that kind of scenarios has to be at the human edge and the computing edge, right? And as you said earlier on, it's compute. It's compute that enables many, many things at the edge. You couldn't suddenly have a power failure or a latency delayed something in a very, very critical situation. So of course you'll engineer for that. That's what I think is what we'll see happen. What next? And the what next is very, very exciting indeed. It means therefore that we have to have much more, much higher quality, much higher scale, and much lower cost per unit digital infrastructure right there at the point of use. This is just an amazing conversation. I love it. You've gone from building a data center to building so many data centers and landing undersea cables and building edge data centers and bringing all of this technology in to really jump continent of Africa forward by a generation or more of technology. And I can't wait to see what comes next. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining us. How can people find you online and find out more of what you're doing? How can they keep up with all of this momentum that you're generating? (laughs) On LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. My colleagues here also get engaged in in my colleagues and why and open access data centers in communications and so on, get engaged on what we're doing. So getting, getting it out there, updates, you know, so on. But also I, I respond, I do respond to things and questions that come up, you know, so on in, in what we do. This is fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much and have a great day. You too. Thanks, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. That does it for this episode of Over the Edge. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend. Over the Edge is made possible through the generous sponsorship of our partners at Dell Technologies. Simplify your edge so you can generate more value. Learn more by visiting dell.com.